0: The Agora was one of the major achievements of Greece. In it were to be found its philosophers and political leaders, and also many of its temples, its priests, and its pagan processions. We know, ladies and gentlemen, where the Agora is to be found today. But like the Temple of Olympian Zeus, constructed by Antiochus and Hadrian, the Agora is essentially in ruins. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 274. Jerusalem, Athens, Alexander, and Antiochus. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Towering over Athens is the Acropolis, with its Parthenon gleaming in the sun, a symbol of Greek art and culture for thousands of years. 300 yards away from the ancient edifice sits the Acropolis Museum, containing within it the antiquities discovered on and around that site over the millennia. And perhaps the true embodiment of all the history in that collection is a bust of Alexander. Alexander was not a philosopher or a pagan priest or a sculptor or a scientist or an artist or an architect, nor was he even Athenian. But he is ultimately why we all care about Athens, because it was through Alexander that what was once a small city state changed human history. That Alexander achieved a vast empire is in itself neither here nor there. We have, in our own journey through Jewish history, met other kings and conquerors that bestrode the world. Alexander was different because he was an evangelist for Greek culture and achievement. He conquered not only to amass territory, but to Hellenize it. And therefore, the glory of Greece was bound to exist in tension and at times, in open conflict with the Jews, a people that claimed that it had been called by God to hold themselves apart, changing the world while proclaiming that they served as witnesses to the one true God. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has noted that prior to Hellenism, quote, Preventing Jews from observing the laws and making them violate the basic principles of Judaism was unknown in our annals, end quote. Religious persecution began with Hellenism, Rabbi Soloveitchik explains, because the Jews were seen by the Greeks as monotheistic barbarians, who refused to accept the supposed sophistication of the Greek world. The Hanukkah story, Rabbi Soloveitchik adds, stemmed from Hellenism's, quote, intolerance and superiority complex, end quote. What this means is that for all the enormous contributions made by Greece to civilization, the rise of Alexander's empire and of his successors presented a new danger to the future of Judaism, one of which Daniel warned sometime before it occurs. Throughout Daniel, we are given visions of the rise and fall of empires. They are symbolized as parts of statues and as animals in Daniel's mysterious revelations. Commentators debate whether Daniel's visions predict the ultimate rise of Rome, as Menashe ben Israel understood, or whether Daniel's revelations are limited to the ultimate conquest of the Persian Empire by Greece. But as we get to the end of the book, Daniel begins speaking explicitly about Greece, and it is very clear that chapter 11 specifically predicts the rise of Alexander and then the splitting of his empire amongst his successors. Chapter 11, verse 2 And now I will show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven, and not to his posterity nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for those beside those. And the king of the south shall be strong in one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. All this predicts world events. As Ariaq of Maidan comments, quote, The mighty king, verse 3, is Alexander. The empire will be given to his successors, verse 4. And these are the king of the south, Ptolemy and his dynasty, who ruled in Egypt, emerging from there on their conquests, and the king of the north, Seleucus I and his dynasty, who ruled over Syria and the lands of the Tigris and the Euphrates, end quote. Daniel goes on to describe in great detail the various machinations that will take place between the ruling families of Alexander's divided kingdom, especially the battles between the descendants of Seleucus and Ptolemy. And then in his description of the Seleucid dynasty, he predicts the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 21, and in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall he be overflown from before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province, and he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches. Yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds, even for a time. This too, as Remedan tells us, parallels what would occur. Quote, Thereafter, Seleucus's brother, Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, arose with his terrible decrees against the Jews. Verse 21. His deputy, Andronicus, murdered the Kohen Gadol, Chonio the third Onias. Verse 22. Antiochus IV then went on to conquer Egypt from the hands of Ptolemy VI through cunning, verses 23 through 27. All this in the end predicts the events that would spark the Hasmonean revolt, the replacement of a righteous Kohen Gadol, a faithful high priest, with a Hellenist one, and ultimately the forced imposition of paganism on Judea. As we have seen enemy after enemy encounter Israel in our journey through the Bible, we must understand the uniqueness and unprecedented nature of. Antiochus' attack. Not until Antiochus had a Gentile pagan king used his power in order to endorse idolatry in Jerusalem, in Judaism's most sacred site, and not until Antiochus did religious persecution at the hands of Gentiles occur. All this is why the Hasmonean revolt broke out, and why, when Judah the Maccabee took the Temple Mount, he immediately proceeded to purify the sanctuary and rededicate a new altar. Deliberately finishing on the two year anniversary of when the original altar had been desecrated by Hellenist ritual. Why is Daniel, in an earlier age, in the period of Persia, going out of his way to specify the details of the unfolding of the Hellenist conquest and persecution that is yet to come? For Rabbi Yaakov Maidan, the specificity of the text indicates that for the Bible, the Jews will need encouragement and guidance in facing a new challenge, which is the religious persecution that they will experience under the Hellenists. Rabbi Maidan writes, As mentioned previously, the Greek Empire was the first, both in Daniel's vision and in historical reality, to wage ongoing, all-out war against observance of the covenant, adherence to the Torah and its commandments. This was not a battle that was waged against the Jewish nation, as was Nebuchadnezzar's campaign against Jerusalem. Nor did it seek to annihilate the Jewish people, like Haman's decrees, which were directed against the people of Mordechai. In this war, man is not viewed as a leaf blown about by the winds of forces greater than himself which determine his fate. Rather, it places squarely in the hands of every individual the free choice to be a soldier of faith, of the covenant, of the Torah, to risk his life and even to give it up for the sake of observance. But Medan adds, the risk and challenge that these decrees, in our instance promulgated by the Greek Empire, posed to Am Yisrael, had significant repercussions for the nation's religious life. Therefore, there was a need for a detailed, precise vision to last for many generations, foreseeing the test that Am Yisrael would face and providing the spiritual support needed to withstand it, as well as the hope of redemption, proclaiming to the entire world that there is a guiding force behind history, a master of the world who sees everything and who is destined to reward those who fear him and punish those who go against him. Thus, the book of Daniel is meant to encourage Am Yisrael, the Israelites of his day, not to give in to the pagan persecution that is yet to come. Daniel's message is meant for ages beyond Antiochus as well. We know that thanks to Antiochus' failure and Judah Maccabee's success, because of the Hanukkah story, Judaism survived, monotheism survived, and Jerusalem's mountain remained dedicated to the biblical God and not to Zeus. But there is someone who took up Antiochus' torch in Athens several centuries later. Though Antiochus did not rule from Athens, he did construct there half of an enormous temple to Zeus in order to highlight what Hellenism and the legacy of Athens meant to him. Antiochus died before completing the edifice, but three centuries after him, the labor of Antiochus was completed. The temple of Zeus stood finished with an enormous gold statue of this Greek god inside it. And it was created by another enemy of the Jews who was an apostle of Hellenism, the Roman emperor Hadrian. Hadrian was the emperor of Rome at the lowest moment in classical Jewish history, the failure and fall of the Bar Kokhva revolt. And we know that Hadrian was not only a successor to Antiochus in constructing the Temple of Zeus, he was his ideological successor. And whereas Antiochus' attempts to paganize Jerusalem were undone, Hadrian did ultimately build a Roman city over Jerusalem, a pagan one, Elia Capitolina with the Temple of Jupiter on the Temple Mount. In such a situation, the encouragement of Daniel in the face of pagan persecution would have spoken still to Jews of the Roman age, as it did in the age of Antiochus. The predictions of Daniel, then, inspire us to reflect on our ancestors' endurance, not only in the face of Antiochus' decrees, but also facing the Hadrianic persecutions. There is a seemingly prosaic law in the Talmud which is that the Hanukkah lamp during the holiday must burn brightly which means literally until all feet leave the market. Simply understood, this means that the Hanukkah lights are kindled in order to be seen. And when all foot traffic has left the marketplace, when the streets are empty, the lamp need no longer burn. But homiletically, we can add an additional interpretation. The true intellectual center of Athens was the Agora, its market. There Socrates would find his friends in discourse and philosophy with them. The Agora was one of the major achievements of Greece. In it were to be found its philosophers and political leaders, and also many of its temples, its priests, and its pagan processions. We know, ladies and gentlemen, where the Agora is to be found today. But like the temple of Olympian Zeus, constructed by Antiochus and Hadrian, the Agora is essentially in ruins. Thus, our pondering of Hebrew scripture and Jewish history allows us new insight into this seemingly simple, aspect of Jewish holiday law. The light of Hanukkah is meant to be lit until the feet, until the vibrancy, until the passers-by leave the market, leave the Agora. This is not only perhaps a religious requirement, but also, as it were, a prediction. The Jewish flame burns even as the Agora empties out. Ladies and gentlemen, one can stand today in the midst of the site of the ancient Agora in Athens, and nothing is there. One sees a museum, to be sure, but of the Agora as it was, there is nothing some broken pieces of stone, one rebuilt stoa, and some ancient rundown statues. Strikingly, one of those statues is a headless Hadrian, enemy of the Jewish people. The flame is lit until all leave the market. The ancient Agora, the once vibrant market, symbol of Hellenism's reach and impact, is abandoned. But Judaism's flame burns brightly. Daniel's words about Jews that would face pagan persecution inspired our ancestors' endurance against all attempts to undo our faith, not only in the age of Antiochus, but also beyond. And his words can inspire us still. This is Mayor Soloveitcher, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.